How's your week been? <laughs> awesome. Some of you were thumbs up and two thumbs, Siskel and Ebert, Joel and Margaret, two thumbs up. Um, it has been a week of ups and downs for me. And I think that what I share is uh, probably relatable to a lot of folks, whether you're here on the hillside or far on the live stream. But I, I keep coming back to whenever I feel weak, I falter. I keep coming back to his word. And I don't just mean opening the Bible. I mean when I feel weak, when I feel I got nothing left, he keeps reminding me that uh, his word is the anchor for my soul. And I don't just mean the written word. I mean the word, which thankfully has given us the written word that we might know his heart. We're going to be looking at the word and the spirit, our confidence and our power. But before I get there, a little summary, a little intro. <clears throat> Based on the crowd I see, I would not be surprised if all of you have personally done your own study on the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, Rick's gone through this. But I want to remind us the context, the situation in which Paul writes to Timothy. Paul, coming to the end of his life, writing to a young pastor. How ironic that I'm teaching this. We know that Paul wrote this letter from prison. 1 Timothy 1.18, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. 1 Timothy 2.8, Remember Jesus Christ according to my gospel for which I suffer hardship, even as to imprisonment, as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. At this point in history, many of, if not all of you know here on the hillside, and many of you joining us live stream, Nero had used Christians as the scapegoat for his premeditated burning of Rome for the sake of rebuilding it, for his own selfish, sordid gain, all for his own glory. The first, I'm sorry, the fire stirring, stirred up outrage by the Roman citizens. Nero, with the outrage and all the questions, you know, the mob's coming out going, who's responsible for this? He was more than happy to place the, the blame on Christians. Paul, as one of the most renowned leaders of this rapidly growing sect of Judaism, which at that time was called The Way, was a prime candidate and a poster child for Nero's extermination of this plague on society, which is the church. Things haven't changed much. <laughs> Things haven't changed much, have they? With the outbreak of COVID, we've read and heard and seen similar stories surface across the globe. There's been a growing resurgence of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people, and the church continues to have more aggressively negative things said about her and done to her by this world. Many, from common people to rulers and leaders, have theories that this COVID is all a scheming con conspiracy by Jews to control the world. Nothing's new under the sun. That's interesting considering the fact that we all know that this came out of Wuhan, China, but apparently the Jews are responsible. 
And as protesters and rioters violate every government request and mandate to socially distance, the surge and spike in COVID in the U.S. continues to go up, somehow keeps being attributed by many to these backwards, unintelligent haters of humanity, most people call Christians. Nothing's new under the sun. And that little term, haters of humanity, harkens all the way back to the first century church. Interesting. Really interesting. Did you know that we were called atheists way back in the beginning? Because we didn't believe in the same gods as the Roman Empire? How ironic. (laughs) Many are longing and hoping for the day when the difficult days of this season will be behind us. But Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. It's a certainty that we have. So then the question is, <laughs> some of you might be thinking, Wow, Jake, thanks for the uh, upper, the pick-me-up. I'm so encouraged. Hang with me. What hope do we have for our future, for our children's sake? I look at my son over there. I think about my daughter, Ezra, who's with her grandparents right now. What hope? Not just for us, but for the generations to come, or generation to come. Jesus told our students last, this last Tuesday night, and I believe he wants to remind all of us of this truth again. John 16, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. That's the courage that we see Paul write with. It doesn't negate or ignore the fact of the sufferings and the hard things that he personally is going through, let alone what the church is going through at this time. But he's got something that helps him overcome all of this. We have power and we have peace through the word, the word, and through his spirit. I don't want us to forget that. And I don't say that trying to sound religious or spiritual. I say that from personal conviction because of the things that I struggled with this week. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and read with me. I'm going to read the first 14 verses and then we'll start breaking it apart. But before we do, I prayed it because I believe it and I pray it because it's been personal to me. And so I ask you again as we go into this, that we not, including myself, make the mistake of trying to simply study this, but that we truly soak in it. That we don't make the mistake of looking at the feast in front of us, dissecting it, watching the master chef prepare it and present it, and then take notes on how to prepare it and present it. Because the master chef wants us to consume it. He wants us to taste it. He wants us to savor it. He wants us to consume it. And he wants us to assimilate his word into our being, which is part of the struggle I had this week. I might get into that. I might not. I don't know. It's not on my notes. But please, with everything that's in me, and I I share this with you because of what I've gone through recently, please make sure it's first and foremost personal to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, Grace and mercy, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Before I continue, know this, unlike every other book in the Bible, and those of you who have heard Rick teach through this, this is extremely personal. And Rick posits, and I believe that he's on the right track, I don't know if Paul ever realized or thought in a million years that we would be reading this as scripture because it was a very personal letter. So as I continue, read it like a personal letter because that's what it is. Longing to see you, Timothy, my beloved son, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, son, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, his grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appealing, appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul's writing in chains. He's abandoned, he's neglected, he's forgotten, he's even rejected. And I could go more on that little rant, but 2 Timothy 1.15 tells us this truth. This is the reality that Paul is living in. I'll just read it because it, it blew me away. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. How many of the churches that Paul was responsible for helping come to an establishment were in Asia? He says, all who are in Asia. I'll get back to that in a little bit. Yet, amazingly, despite Paul's circumstance, he writes as if he still has something left to lose. What do you have left to lose, Paul? You've lost it all. What's the point? But first, as is characteristic of Paul, how does he introduce himself and why does he introduce himself this way? He starts by addressing his identity. He's an apostle, which means sent one. And we see throughout his letters, he uses words like commissioned. We'll see that later in chapter two, verses three, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's an apostle, he's commissioned, he's sent by, and he represents Jesus personally. He takes it personal because it's been given to him personally. So then, why does Paul show off his apostle creds? 
because like I said, this is a very personal letter from Paul to Timothy. I don't know about you. I actually, I, I tried to stay off from listening to other teachings, especially Rick's, because I didn't want to make the mistake of copying things. It's easy to do. Long story short, the Lord said, no, read it. Listen to it. Listen to what your much older brother has heard from me, and then go from there. So pushing against the goads, I finally let go. I let it come. And he asked the same question. Why is Paul pumping his apostle creds? I thought this was personal. It is personal. He brings us up to remind Timothy, in light of what I just shared from second, um, 1 Timothy 1.15, about the nature they're living in right now, the situation the church is in, he brings it up to remind Timothy and to remind himself, I believe, that their circumstances do not change who they are and what they're to do. We live in weird times. Circumstances have changed rapidly and they'll continue to change rapidly. And we're doing the best we can to navigate through that. Not just leadership here at the bridge, but all of us here at the bridge. So what do we hold on to while the, the waves of this world are going back and forth? We have an anchor for the soul. What is your anchor for your soul? Paul goes right to the throat and reminds Timothy, this is the anchor for my soul. In light of what Paul's suffering and what his protege, Timothy, has witnessed, Paul wants Timothy's focus to be faith-based in the truth because he's going to need that focus in his faith so that he can rest in his identity and his purpose so that he's able to endure what is ahead. I, I'm not up here professing to know exactly what's ahead, but based off of what we see time and time again in Scripture, and if no one else, Jesus, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer or a negative Nancy, but folks, let's say all this ebbs and flows and calms down. Awesome. I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for that. For that. I'm a super people person. You can ask Steve Armitage. All I want to do is hug and handshake. Poor Les has had me kiss him on the cheek more than once. I'm a personal guy in my affection, in my aggression. <laughs> I like sports like that. This has not been easy for me. So even if this whole thing kind of calms down and we get a reprieve, awesome. I'm going to be thanking Jesus for that. However, we cannot fool ourselves. Don't be deceived that things are going to get easier. Things will not get easier. Tim, Paul was writing this to Timothy almost 2,000 years ago. And if no one else, Jesus said over and over, he said in John 16, 33, you have tribulation. And if no one else is going through that, man, if you've got his word, living by his spirit, professing his name, walking confidently in his grace, there is a power in this world that's going to look out to take you down. And we're seeing that more and more. Paul reminds Timothy who he is, to remind Timothy who he is. I'm getting ahead of myself because he wants his focus to be in his faith. Where is our faith this morning? Because if our faith is in anything but Jesus, we will not be able to endure what is ahead. We read the letters to the churches in Revelation. We read about the epistles to the churches in Asia. What does he say? They've left me. Paul, they left Paul. That bothers me even right now. I, I could go on about how I emotionally feel about that one verse. But can you imagine 
this man who's poured himself out and loved on and shared this truth with these people and helped them get their, their feet under them in Jesus, and they're leaving him. Jesus doesn't promise that this fellowship will continue. Let that sink in. I don't know what the future holds. I pray, my prayer personally is that this fellowship not only continues, but that it continues in strength. So even if we're refined and purified, we see numbers come and go, the fellowship here at the bridge doesn't stop. And when Jesus calls his church home, not a single person in this fellowship will be left because all of us have placed our faith in him. That's my prayer. But we're not guaranteed that. We're just guaranteed what Jesus says. And Jesus said that he's going to make his church. He's established it, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We are one small member in a larger body. Paul's been personally sent by Jesus himself to bring the power of God's good news to the rest of the world beyond the nation of Israel. Acts 9, 15. Saul has a radical revelation of Jesus. And in this uh, chapter, we see Saul turn into Paul, and all of a sudden he goes from the biggest persecutor to the church to one of, you could argue, the biggest lovers of the church. Acts 9, 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias is like, you want me to go talk to who? This dude? Do you know who you're talking about, God? God goes, yes, Ananias, I do. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If you got any opportunity, man, start out being a Paul. Because sometimes I think part of the reason Paul went through what he did was just to remind Jesus. So you put my church through this, now you're going to be a part of this. <laughs> he learned this lesson his whole life. Paul understands that he's a man under orders from the commander of heaven's armies. He uses a word, apostle. And as we see later on just in this chapter, he'll use another word that's actually got a military connotation. Paul is personally in love with Jesus and loves Timothy as a son. But he knows he's been given orders by the commander of heaven's armies. So even when the battle seems lost, his identity and his duty is not. Which leads me to my first question. Do you know who you are to Jesus? I could have told you at the beginning of last week, yeah, I know. And that hasn't changed. But when the press, the wine press comes, when we go through the fire and things start pressing, what comes out? My dad <laughs> taught me that truth without even quoting Romans 5. You really know the character of a man or a woman when hard times come. When hard times have come, who we identify with, what defines us comes out. It reveals based on the hope we put ourselves in. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus, because of his authority, has called his disciples to go make disciples. Jesus called his guys his friends, no longer his servants, because he's revealed all things to them. Do you this morning feel that personal with Jesus? I was also raised up in a home. We had a lot of feelings and lots of passion, as my wife can attest to. Many times my wife has said, Jake, I love you, but sometimes you're too much. It's true. It's very true. And I remember my dad saying more times than I care to re remember, you know what? <laughs> ben Shapiro, he's got this thing, you know, fact, not feeling. Way before Ben 
was even a boy, my dad was saying the same thing. It's about the truth. It's not about our feelings. That being said, and I think I'm ahead of my notes already, Rick said it, and as I've continued to read through this, it didn't take long for me to feel this. Feel this with me. As we've continued to feel things together through this season. Do you know who you are to Jesus? That question is preeminent. It's incredibly important. Life itself rests on answering that question personally. Just as Timothy's learned from Paul, I've learned a great deal from Rick and less. And for that matter, <laughs> all of you, by God's incredible grace and mercy, I'm still here in your midst, sharing in fellowship with the privilege to even share like I am. And I just saw the live stream. <laughs> Someone said, Larissa gave me this uh, little handkerchief and she said, you're like a reversed father. <laughs> you know, the Catholic thing. Anyway, side note. I'm just keeping track of time because some of you who know me know how long I can go. And I don't want to go too long, but I want the word delivered. Timothy has learned from Paul. I have learned so much from Rick and from Les, as I know all of our staff and our shepherds can say the same, not to mention all of you. Been so grateful for that. For example, I learned listening to Rick's teaching that unlike 1 Timothy and Titus, the letters to the pastors, this one is unique in that it's not written from a pastor to a pastor, but a friend to a friend and actually a father to a son. This is a very personal letter. Paul writes from chains, awaiting <clears throat> his inevitable death, but like a man still on mission. This guy has been beat up, you could say beyond oblivion. He's been beaten within an inch of his life literally more than once. But he's still living like a man with mission, like a man with purpose. But you're in prison, Paul. Paul would answer by saying, but the word of God is not imprisoned. 2 Timothy 2.9. Paul, man, bro, it's over. Give it up. Paul would answer by saying, <laughs> I'm not done. There's more hope of this life left because hope does not disappoint. True hope. Because the love of God, Jesus, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, Romans 5, 5. And there it is, folks. Confidence of the word and power of the Spirit of God. Les was sharing Wednesday night, fundamental foundations. I know some of you, if not all of you, were like, okay, I got that. Yep, this is all fundamental, Jake. I know, I know it's fundamental. It was fundamental to Timothy, and yet Paul still reminded him. I needed to be reminded this week. We need to continue to be reminded day in and day out because if we, if we give up the foundations of our faith, then what is our faith in? Who is our faith in? By human standards, like I've said, and I know I continue to beat a dead horse, but quite frankly, so does Paul. So I'm not going to apologize. By human standards, Paul's got every reason to lose hope. By human standards, Paul's got every reason to wallow in despair. Some of you have heard my little story about that. I was doing a little pity party. Got to have breakfast with Rick years back. And then as we're walking out, he said, can I be honest with you, Jake? And his joyful self, I'm like, sure. You gotta stop wallowing in self-pity. 
We have to quit wallowing in self-pity. We have a reason not to wallow in self-pity. Paul's got every reason to do so, but Paul, no doubt, feeling the pain of loneliness, guys, suffering, physical suffering like you and I don't know. He's undeterred. Paul is resolutely, without a doubt, convinced of God's approval of him. That inspires and motivates his life, which is why this letter was inspired. Sounds like someone else we know. All hope seemed lost. He'd lost everyone, even more than Paul. Would you turn over to Matthew 26 with me? Matthew 26, verse 36. That's, one, that's another thing I've learned from Rick and from Les, but especially Rick as a constant, constant teacher at our fellowship. Man, if this word doesn't bring me back to Jesus some way, shape, or form, I'm missing the point. These all, all these other things are good, but if it doesn't bring me back to Jesus, <laughs> then we're missing it. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. Jesus knows the grief and the distress you've gone through in this season. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. This is after Jesus has called his guys his friends. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them praying fervently in this. No, it doesn't. Found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Hasn't even been an hour yet. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love his response because at the end, he cares about them. He's not just having them pray with him so that he's bolstered, but for their sake. What an incredible shepherd. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus asked this question more than once. That's interesting to me. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And he felt, he left them again. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He found them like that. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Like Jesus had been promising would happen. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him, that's Judas, gave, gave them a sign saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one, seize him, take him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, teacher, and kissed him. Talk about a pierce to the heart. What a betrayal. Acting like, hail teacher, I love you. And kissed him and Jesus said to him, to Judas, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, that's Peter, 
struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. I think that's a good reminder for all of us, believers and followers of Jesus, as some of us have witnessed, read, we know of oppression coming against church leaders. What does Jesus say? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Jesus told us that what we're going through must happen this way. I would encourage all of you to, to take stock of that. Don't kick against the goads of what his spirit is clearly doing. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. And here's the line that gets me. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Mm. Jesus was distraught over what was happening. Three times he asked, Lord, Father, if there's any way for this to pass, let it be. But not my will, yours be done. And then he went, knowing what was in store. And he didn't resist it. He didn't even wait for it. He went out to it. He met it. He met his death. Because he didn't live for himself. Jesus couldn't depend on his closest friends in his greatest hour of need. One of his closest betrayed him. And when Jesus' enemies rose up, his closest companions left him. Peter, one of his closest three, outright denied Jesus. Luke 22:60, And we know that the third time, right after he denied him the third time, he heard a rooster crow, realized what Jesus promised, and he saw Jesus looking at him in the eyes. But if you go back and read that on your own time, you start to see... Jesus didn't look at him with condemnation, brokenhearted for Peter. If you feel yourself failing, faltering during the season, which I will tell you, I have more times than I care to recount, Jesus doesn't condemn his children. Don't feel condemned. Receive him and experience his comfort, which we're going to look at some more here in a little bit. So what did Jesus do? When everything was against him and all who loved him that he loved were very personal to him, left him, he stayed true. Why? Just like Paul, in a way. Paul continued because of the word of God and the spirit of God. Jesus stayed true because he is the word of God. And God's word is faithful and true. That's Jesus' name in Revelation. And Jesus endured what he went through to the bitter end. Hebrews 12:1. All for the joy ahead. Paul's not a man without hope. I have told my wife more times, again, more than once, that I feel hopeless. I don't think I've said I am hopeless, but I have felt hopeless. We don't, <laughs> Paul doesn't act like he's hopeless. Yes, his life is excruciating. Yes, he's imprisoned and abandoned by most he loved. But his hope isn't in other believers. Paul's hope was never in the church. 
Paul's hope is in the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Turn back to 2 Timothy 1. It says it right there, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Where's your hope at these days? If the place your life's hope is in isn't Jesus, I promise you, simply from my own limited 35 years of experience, if your hope is in anything except for Jesus, it'll get shaken and it'll come crashing down. At some point it will. If you haven't experienced it, I'd be surprised. But if, if you have, you know what I'm saying is true. A lot of people's hope and confidence have been shaken in this time. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, mud pots, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Jesus, I pray right here again, that as things happen in my life, that what comes out is you, that you would be glorified, that people would see the love of the Father. Verse two, <laughs> this is a long time on verse one. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Rick made me aware that, by the way, if you're like, man, he sounds like a, a record that just keeps repeating, you're probably gonna hear me refer to Rick more than once. Timothy, I'm pretty sure, referred to Paul more than once. Rick made me aware that the only other time we see this expression, how Paul addresses Timothy, is when God the Father speaks of his son, Jesus, Matthew 3.17, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Timothy, my beloved son. All this to say, to make a comparison between Paul's love for Timothy's and God's love for Jesus just shows how deep Paul's love is for Timothy. Yes, it's a letter. Yes, we read it for instruction, guidance on our life. But guys, this is personal. And Paul is in love with Timothy as a son. Lastly, another thing I learned from Rick, there it is again, was that unlike all of Paul's other letters, which read grace and peace, this one reads grace, mercy, and peace. Mercy. Every time I think of mercy, I don't know why, I look at Judah's hair, beautiful, long, lush, flopped over to the side, and I think of Elvis Presley. Oh, mercy, mercy. Poor Judy, he's put on the spot. Get, get used to it, bud. This is who your dad is. Mercy. The word mercy is literally compassion. That word right there, compassion, is what I have continued to come back to time and time again ever since this COVID crazy hit. Not because I am seeing it because of my study, Jesus keeps bringing me back to it. And I have wondered, why do you keep bringing this back to me? I can give you reasons, but why, Jesus? Matthew 9, 13, Matthew 9, 27, Matthew 9, 36. We see that word compassion come up at least three times just in that chapter. Compassion. When you read mercy, think compassion. Think tender compassion. 
Do you know the compassion of Jesus personally? Have you experienced it lately? Because Lord knows I have. And Lord knows just how badly I need it. How much, I'm going to ask you a personal question here, not just for those of us on the hillside, but for everyone who knows Rick. There's his name again. Rick, if you're watching, I apologize for putting you on the spot. Not really. How much compassion have we had for Rick as he's led our fellowship in this season? I have learned a lot about grace and mercy. Living with all of you guys in this fellowship. If you haven't heard about porn Sunday, <laughs> ask someone at the bridge. I should have been fired more than once, but I haven't been. This isn't in my notes. <laughs> How much compassion have we had for Rick? And I'm telling you, truly as a, a servant, I need your compassion in this time. And know that you've got mine to you. I don't know what your life story is, but we're in this together. Grace mercy <clears throat> and peace. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Man, Paul, you're wrecking me here. Jesus, your goodness. Paul, an old, beat up, might I add, pretty much blind, ostracized, abandoned, rejected, slandered, maligned, misunderstood, persecuted, left for dead, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and now sentenced to inevitable death. Paul is thanking God? What's wrong with you, Paul? Why are you thanking God? Look at where you're at. Where's God? What's God done for you? Well, he's going to continue to show us. How is Paul able to thank God? Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself in Timothy's shoes. As my wife has continued to remind me, I'm not the Paul in this letter. I'm much more identify with Timothy at this point in my life. Can you imagine what Timothy is feeling while he reads this? Can you imagine what Timothy is imagining while he reads this personal letter from a man he served with who's been like a father to him, who he's watched go through the tumble and dry of life over and over and over and over. This old man's frazzled body's got nothing left, and yet he continues to act as though he does. How can he thank God? Let me ask this question before I read a reference. What and who are you thankful for today? I mean, right now. Who and what are you thankful for today? Thursday was an ugly day, not just for me. It was an ugly day for my wife because she had to deal with ugly Jake. She got more than a spoonful of flesh from this guy right here. And I'm not bringing her up to put her on the pedestal. She's gone through ups and downs with me. But she kept bringing me back to what are you thankful for, Jake? I felt empty, guys, earlier in this week. I felt like as I read this, I'm like, I can't, 
I can't relate with Paul. I can't relate with Timothy. Everything he says is opposite to how I feel. Now, don't go reading through and go, well, what does that mean? I'm just saying I felt empty and I had nothing to bring. And then I got a text from a brother while my wife was trying to uh, gently, patiently talk with me, reason with me from his word, bringing me back to what Jesus has done for me and who Jesus is and what he has said. And then I get a text from Les right in the throes of my flesh temper tantrum, Colossians 3.16, read it on your own time. And no, it's not in the notes reference, so you got to write it down. And I broke. I broke. I can tell you this morning I'm thankful for Jesus. And no matter what happens to me, I know whose I am. But that's enough. I know that what I've given to Jesus, he will safeguard it. Philippians 4, verse 5. Paul writes to the church in Philippi who went through some gnarly persecutions themselves, being a, a church that was growing in the middle of a Roman colony, very militant, very Roman soldier-esque. That's how these Roman towns became cities. Rome would expand, then they'd plant a bunch of uh, soldiers, they'd literally colonize the region, and the soldiers and the prefects would govern and instill the Roman culture there. Well, the Roman culture, as we have seen, is very much the antithesis or the opposite to the church and her values, which are in Jesus. Philippi knows all too well what persecution looks like, but Paul writes to them, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Stop. Your gentle spirit. <laughs> gentle could be translated meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under great control and restraint. The Lord is near, he says. Be anxious for nothing. And it means the same thing in the Greek. Anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which goes beyond all human ability to understand, comprehend, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is the antidote for anxiety and bitterness. So what are you thankful for today? What have you been thankful for specifically in these last five months? 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Okay, Paul says that to the church in Philippi. Okay, Paul's a thankful man. I'm not in Philippi and I ain't Paul. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Consider the man who writes that to the church. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing, praying, and give thanks is God's will for us because as our Father, He knows and wants what's best for us. He knows how if we live in that way, how it will bless us, how it will comfort us, how it will stir up his spirit within us. Look at verse four with me. He goes on and says, longing to see you, Timothy, even as I recall your tears. So if you think I'm a crybaby because I cried. 
I told you in the beginning, I'm a passionate man. Emotions come out. So in the past, I would have apologized, but I'm not going to. He says, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, son, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first lived, dwelt, resided in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Can you just hear Paul's heart behind this letter to his dearly beloved son, Timothy? Rick said that beyond just studying this epistle, it ought to be felt. Paul felt this. Feel it. Go to your, let it go to your soul. Let this affect our, our soul. Let this affect our thoughts, our desires, our choices, our emotions. What amazes me as I've reflected on this letter is that for all the incredible pain and suffering Paul's gone through, his heart isn't numb to emotion. I got to tell you, this season, there have been times where I'm like, I am tired of feeling. I have felt resigned. I have felt tips of bitterness or resentment want to make its way into my heart. Paul feels deeply for Timothy. And Timothy, a young man like myself, wept out of his deeply felt love for Paul. That's the love of the church that Jesus talks about with his disciples, that the world might know it by seeing it in us and how we interact with each other and be so drawn to know the Father in heaven personally. Love each other as I have loved you, Jesus says. Guys, I've gone through bouts of anger. I've had confusion. I felt resigned. I've had feelings and thoughts about others and their abandonment or neglect of me. And this is not a pity party, and I'm not asking for people to feel sorry for me because what I say, I say knowing that many of you that I look on the hillside and through this camera have felt the same things. <laughs> Outright slander. Man, you serve Jesus long enough, you're gonna have some people really slander you, drag your name through the mud. And it has, from time to time, made me want, want to give up, yet here I am. Why? Why, Why is Paul where he's at? Why is Timothy where he's at? Why am I where I'm at? Why are you where you're at? Because Jesus has called me. Jesus has sent us. My life, your life is out of our will and it is in the Father's will, right? I can't answer that for you, but he's brought me back to this. The promise of my life is not in me or my ability. It is in Jesus. Sounds foundational, yet I believe many in the church are struggling through this time because that has waned in this season. And there are some within the visible church who aren't actually spiritually part of the church truly because that's not true for them. Paul reminds Timothy of his identity and reminds Timothy of his identity. For all the times I've faltered, for all the times I've failed in this season, folks, his word continues to be a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And his spirit continues to pour out Jesus' love in my weak and feeble heart. God's word and God's spirit is who keeps me going well beyond what Jake would be capable of. Right, Cam? <laughs> He keeps me going, his word, his spirit. 
even when I feel like my future's up in the air. I've got nothing left to give myself. I feel overcome. I feel despair creeping in. When I am weak, he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore I am well content with weakness. <sighs> Are you content with your weakness? <laughs> Uh, I can't say that I've been content with my weakness throughout this season perfectly the whole time. But thanks to him bringing me to this letter, causing me to have to pour into it, soak it up, assimilate it to my being, I have a level of contentment with my weakness that I never had before. Content with weaknesses and insults, with distresses and persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1.6. Look at verse 6 with me. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Because of Timothy's true, genuine, and real faith in Jesus, Paul urges him to kindle afresh God's gift in him. In order for all this stuff to be true for you and I, our faith has to be real. The reason Paul wrote this to Timothy was because he knew, one, who he was, and two, he knew that Tim's faith, no matter how weak he was, was real. His faith was not in himself to pick up the baton and pastor the church in Ephesus. And Paul reminds him of that you will not be able to do what I've left for you to do if you do it in your own ability. I can't tell you again, I know I say that, I'm gonna have a bunch of shirts made for, by, by some of you. I can't tell you how many times, <laughs> beating a dead horse, I'm a broken record, <laughs> all this to say, oh, thank you for your patience with me. The only reason I'm where I'm at is because my faith's been in Jesus. That's not because, oh, great faith of Jake. No. No. Faith smaller than a mustard seed, and he's gone. Okay, son, Jacob, I'll work with that. You just keep on trusting me. But I don't know how. You don't have to. But I don't have anything. Good. Now I can work with you. Two things on this whole kindling afresh. Kindling afresh first doesn't mean that Tim's fiery faith had died or diminished. That's not what Paul is saying here. And I spent time on this verse. And there's well more to expound on this. And I would encourage you, I told this, I think, to Dean and LB because I was talking with them on Friday. Man, things broke on Thursday spiritually, and on Friday it flowed. And I was telling them as I was listening to Rick's teaching, I think this was in 2018. Just so far through 2 Timothy chapter 1, what Rick teaches there is downright prophetic to what we're experiencing right now. So, after you're done here with me, at some point this week, I encourage you, test it out. You don't have to, but it might be well worth you listening to what the Lord was telling us a couple years back. Kindling afresh doesn't mean Tim's faith has died or diminished. It's not a picture of trying to start a fire. It's not a picture of putting two sticks together to make some heat. It's actually keeping full the fire, keeping in keeping the fire in full flame. Why is Paul Timothy, I'm sorry, why is Paul reminding Timothy, who is a pastor himself, 
about this? Why is Paul telling Timothy things that Timothy, I believe, already knew? Again, put yourself in Tim's sandals. He's personally witnessed the suffering Paul's had to endure. This is no cakewalk. I can appreciate how intimidating this may have felt for Tim. What if Rick, (laughs) I know some of you have thought this. I have thought this. What if Rick or Les or God forbid both of them were imprisoned, about to die, or passed away? I'm sorry. And I was left to shepherd this fellowship. Yeah, there's the laugh. Yeah, I'm laughing with you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's a good one, Jake. Um, yeah, I think I'd be a little intimidated. Paul did that with Timothy. I'm going to leave you behind in Ephesus to continue on with this fellowship, what I've started. But Paul's not made it this far because of Paul. Tim's not where he's at because of Tim. It's because of God's spirit. Notice, if you look at verse 6, he says gift. He doesn't say gifts. For a while, while I was studying this week, (laughs) I kept going around looking at verses about gifts. He's not talking about gifts. He's talking about gift. Tim's going to need God's spirit burning hot in him. As Paul tells Timothy later in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What does Paul mean by persecution? Timothy's watched it unfold before his eyes. When Paul says you're going to be persecuted, he thinks of what he's witnessed Paul go through in persecution. When you hear Kindle afresh, don't think igniting a fire. Imagine instead a fire that's intensely hot for forging steel. That takes some incredible heat. Or a kiln that's kept so hot in order to melt sand and to blow sand into shapes. The fire needed to do the work must be constantly stirred up. It's not get the fire going, it's the fire's going, keep that puppy hot. Keep that fire going, Tim. Don't let up, don't stop. You haven't finished the race yet. Keep pressing in. Keep kindling afresh the gift of God. In other words, this is not a one-and-done thing. Kindling a fire requires repetition and intensity, and intense repetition. Secondly, Paul doesn't mention, like I already said, Timothy's gifts, but Timothy's gift, singular. This isn't the gifts of the Spirit. This is the Spirit himself. That's the gift. Too often we like to think about and marvel about what will heaven be like, and I have, again, no condemnation here. We're, we're commiserating with each other. But at the end of the day, and the Lord made, this a, made me aware of this some years back, teaching the students one night, heaven's not heaven because of a place. Heaven's heaven because of a person. I, I sound like I'm an Irishman all of a sudden, and I don't know why. Second, Paul mentions Timothy's gift. We receive the gift of God, the Spirit of God in us when we confess our belief in Jesus, not belief about. For those of you listening, watching on live stream, it's not about what you know about Jesus. It's about if you know Jesus personally. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that seals us like a sign that promises our redemption for salvation. Acts 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for redemption. And it's the Spirit, folks, who's bestowed on us by the laying on of hands for power. Rick said it over and over, and I will bring it up again, and this is not the church tradition I grew up in, neither was it for Rick. And, for that matter, it wasn't for less. <laughs> but how does this gift in what Paul's talking about get come to Timothy? By the laying on of hands. Whoa, like there's power in their hands. What's going on here? Acts 8, 17, now when Simon, the magician, saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Here's money. Give me that same gift. I'm not talking just about the gift within, and I'm, not, I'm still not talking about gifts. There are two separate functions of the Spirit at play in our life, really three, but I'm going to look at two. One, you receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus. The Spirit of Christ comes and dwells and abides in us, each and every one of us who believe in His name. But His Spirit also comes upon us in power to do things for His goodwill and purpose. Acts 19, 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. We see things happen as a result of the gift coming upon his people in power. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift. This is not the first time Paul's read, written this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Shepherds, pastors, this laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you guys, I have so much more to learn. I've been talking with Rick and Les. Man, I need to sit down and ask you guys some questions. I need you to help me understand this better. But at the end of the day, getting the gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't come by way of money and it doesn't come by way of intellect. It comes by way of simply receiving like a child. This is a basic fundamental doctrine of God's word. If anyone's having a problem with what I'm sharing, uh, talk with me afterward, or actually talk with this guy, Les. He's got more on this than I do. Have you received the spirit of God for salvation, number one? Number one, you gotta have his spirit first in you through belief. Secondly, have you been baptized with the spirit of God by the laying on of hands? I still feel like there's this Irishman inside me. Have you been baptized by the Spirit of God? <laughs> Have you? How is your spirit doing in truly these last days? Proverbs 18, 14 is a reminder that the spirit of a man can't endure his sickness. But as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? I had a broken spirit this week. And my wife was doing her best by his gift on her to bear bear the burden with me. And when his spirit finally broke in and broke my soul, my spirit came alive. If you're feeling broken within, then lean into his spirit. Philippians 4, 6. I know I've read it before. I'm going to read it again. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. If you feel broken, stop and pray with thanksgiving. Think about the things while you talk with him that you're thankful for. What are you thankful for? Have you told him? 
Have you dwelt on that? Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the guard to my heart and my mind. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, repute, and report, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Paul's not moaning and complaining in a well of wallowing. Why? Because he knows what he's got to be thankful for. He lives daily in that thankfulness because we saw in verse 3, I thank God at the end of verse 3, day and night he talks with God, praying without ceasing. In answering the question, how do I keep his spirit fresh in me? I'll tell you this much. I'm just learning. So for a while I was asking myself that question. Cool, you say do this, but how do I do this? What you feed is what's alive. What you feed is what's alive. Feed your spirit on his spirit by prayer, with thanksgiving, and dwelling on him, Jesus. What's one of Jesus' names? The Word of God. Woohoo! Dwell, feed, rest in. Don't feed your soul on, on the news and ideas of this world because it ain't going to happen and it won't work and you'll be sorely disappointed. If you live by the Spirit, you walk in faith and you walk in love, trusting in, living by God's love doesn't disappoint. It's explosive. It's dynamic. And the best part about all this is I continue to read this, soak in it, and seek the Lord for understanding. He says, you don't actually have to do anything to have it happen. You just got to spend time in my presence. I am a wildly different man this morning before you than I was back on Thursday or Wednesday. He keeps bringing me back to a teaching Rick had me do way back in the summer, summer of 2019. Psalm 150. Guys, the Psalms are not something I feel confident in. I told Rick, just give me acts. Give me an epistle, but a psalm? And it's funny because I'm a guy who likes to sing. I love to sing. As non-charismatic as I am, there's a charismatic part of me that loves to sing. And when no one's around, man, I get down with my spirit self. Wow, not many of you laughed. Just imagine that, and then you might laugh some more. Okay, this morning as I'm coming out here, this week he's, he's given me songs, old worship songs. One of the songs I sang as I came out here is Shout to the North. Shout to the North and the South. Sing to the East and the West. Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. That's my battle cry. And there's another song I won't get into because I'm way running out of time. Sing to him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. I sang to him, but it was out of my spirit because I believe in his truth. And as I dwell on his word, his spirit comes alive. How do you kindle afresh? You rest in him. You spend time with him. You pray to him. You dwell on him. And the more you do that with him, the more he comes alive in you. 
The reason my, many are faltering and even failing is because they're not fueled on his spirit to guard their sincere faith. It's not that they don't have sincere faith, but they're not letting the one who can guard it, guard it. But instead, many of us, and I have done this, are trusting science with their souls. Put your faith, let your spirit have faith in Jesus. Quit feeding the soul and feed the spirit and then he will renew your soul, Romans 12, 2. 2 Timothy 1, 7. By the way, Romans 12, 2 is not in there either, so you can give me a hard time about that later. All right. Now we're going to start to pick up pace, I promise. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. That word timidity, there it is. That's a military word that Paul uses in the Greek. Don't be a coward. That's what... <laughs> That's what they tell you in boot camp, man. Suck it up. Marines, do you know the name of your gun personally? They make Marines sleep with their gun. Man, this is life because if you don't know how to be a good Marine, a good soldier, a good airman, sailor, this applies for women, you go out in the battlefield, you're gonna get mowed down. You're gonna be salt that loses its saltiness and you'll get trampled. So, don't be timid. Instead, live by the gift of the Spirit, which brings power, love, and discipline. There's a lot I could say on this and expound and camp out on, but suffice it to say, if I'm fanning the flames of my faith with His Spirit, power, love, and discipline, self-control, sound judgment, supernaturally flow as a result. If you're looking for the gifts of the Spirit and you're like, where are they? I don't see them. Maybe you got to feed the Spirit some more before you can see the manifestation of His unique gifts on you. There's no, look at verse 8. We're going to end with this. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and His own grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Until that day, Timothy, my son, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. There's no fear in the Spirit, and without fear there's no shame. But just as the Spirit fortifies us, His Word, inspired by His Spirit, fuels us. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and the Greek also. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Faith comes in your spirit, not in your soul. Your soul's got to follow that. We are seen, and I promise, we'll see more still people depart from the halls of our church buildings because they were never taught the Word of God.
Paul reminds Timothy over and over, word and spirit, spirit and word, word and spirit, spirit and word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. How do you guard what's been given to you? By his spirit, retaining the standard of sound words in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. We may, if the Lord inspires me so, next Sunday, yep, that's right, you'll have to hear me again next Sunday before Rick's back. I may just continue on where we're at. I feel very inclined to do so. And we're going to see where the church is at during Paul's life and time. If you're like, man, I wish I could live during the first century church. I get that. Read 2 Timothy 1.15. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty thankful for the day and age I live right now. People, regardless of age or background, are leaving the faith because their so-called faith was never real. It was never founded and grounded and equipped by the living and active Word of God to begin with. Hebrews 4.12. Paul has no shame. Why? You're like, why is the church even ashamed of Paul? Think about it. Man, Rick's, Rick's in jail again. Les is going to be gone in prison again. Okay, I did it. I went with him for the first, you know, one, two, three times. But they keep going into jail. These guys need to get their act together and quit doing this. They're making us look bad. The rest of the world is looking at us, and they're making us look bad. Sound familiar? People within the, the church are ripping the church apart, if by no other means leaving the fellowship of Jesus' saints. Paul's got no shame. Why? Because Paul's abounding in hope. Why? Because Paul is determined with a holy, zealously confident passion in life because he knows that Jesus is able to guard what he's entrusted to him. What are you entrusting to him? What have you entrusted to him? I was asking myself that question, which is why I ask you. If you're trying to entrust to him your nice house or your 401k, just look at it this way. The things that you can entrust to Jesus are the things that Jesus has given you. Thank you, Jesus. Now keep me. Now save me. Now hold on. Jesus cares about the people who live with you in that home. Entrust them to him. How? day and night, praying with thanksgiving. Paul has retained the standard of sound words and faith and love because he lives by and he shares the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ and the whole counsel, the whole word of God. Genesis to Revelation, Acts 20, 27. The whole counsel of God. My final word to us all is the end has not come, but it is quickly approaching. And our Lord's wrath will burn with holy ferocity against all ungodliness. He said it will. As that day draws near, exponentially so, in a taxi. If you did our Revelation study, you'd know what I'm saying. As we all are witnessing before our very eyes today, guys, the enemy will be more viciously desperate to seek, to kill, and destroy your lives. 
he's going to get more intense. The only way we can get more intense in the battle is to fan a flame, keep alive the gift of God at work in us. I will say this, lastly, and yes, I'm getting this from Rick's teaching, really and truly, the picture of keeping a flame alive is the picture of keeping the, the hot coals glowing red hot for the altar of sacrifice in the temple and the tabernacle. That's the picture. Those are the words used. When you have to sacrifice for something you believe in, you get pretty passionate about it. I'm easily passionate about my wife and my kids. I'll leave this. I'll say this last thing and end with one more passage. What are you and I sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom of God? Not in our own strength, but according to his. How many of us are sharing his good news with the people around us? This world needs some good news. And how much time do we on our own, outside of a Wednesday or a, Saturday, or a Sunday, soak in his word ourselves? John 16, these things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Jesus, I thank you that you have overcome the world. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit so that when I'm weak, you are still strong. You sustain me. When so many had left and you looked at your disciples and said, what's up, boys? Why aren't you leaving? Peter said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so when I finally came to the end of myself this week, I'm like, I don't feel these things and I got nothing, Jesus, but I do not deny what your word says, let alone what you've done personally in my life. I pray that you would kindle afresh, keep the flame burning bright on the lampstand of the Bridge Christian Fellowship, that we as brothers and sisters would live united in love and truth, worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. That's what you and by those ways, you've saved us and continue to save us. Help us to continue to stay in love the way we first came to you in love because of the way you first came to us in love. Jesus, we lift up this moment to you and I ask God that you would draw all those who need to join a brother or sister in prayer to encourage them to do so. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because it is the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts. Pour out, Holy Spirit, fresh and new on us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>